Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Kenzie's Bible Study Podcast. Um, as you know, we are going through a series in the book of Exodus. Um, and last time I left you with this question to think about, to wrestle with, and talk to your people about is, what can I do today to shift attention back to Jesus and make sure that he is the main character in our lives? What things can we do we already have in place maybe that you build your life upon him and what things maybe need some attention. So I hope you've had the chance to uh, talk to some of your people about it. And I know that the big one for me is not, not everything in my life is to serve my needs. That's something I always need to remind myself of. When I'm making choices that are really only to fill my needs, it usually doesn't go well long term. It definitely makes me the main character of my life though. So it's something for me to think about is just in the decisions that I make. Is this ultimately for God's glory or just an immediate need or pleasure that I want? So last time we left off after Moses saw God in the burning bush and God says, hey, I'm going to use you to set my people free. And I know that when you tell Pharaoh my name that I am sent you, he's not going to budge. But trust me, I've got a plan. Pharaoh will give in and you will leave an enriched people. He will give you goods to get rid of you. And so where we pick up in chapter four is like the third of seven times that Moses argues with God. The first was in chapter, in the last chapter, verse 11 of chapter three, where God calls him and Moses says, uh, who am I? Like, I can't do that, Lord. No way. The second time was in verse 13 of that chapter when Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say, well, what's his name? Then what shall I tell him? There's no way. They don't even know you, Lord. And I, I just kind of honestly laugh knowingly because um, how silly it is to argue with the God of the universe. But how often do I argue with God? It's definitely been way more than seven times, I would say. But anyways, so Exodus verse one, chapter four, here's the third argument. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Now, what did God say back in verse 18 just a few moments ago? They will listen to you. And Moses says here, Lord, they're not going to listen to me. It's one thing to be humble, but here Moses argues with God and he just doesn't believe God. They're going to listen to you. No, they're not God. Verse two. Then the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. I hope you know this is not, I mean, I'm not a snake handler, so I don't really know all the ins and outs of it. But what I do know about handling a snake, other than uh, my thought is just not handling one at all, but it's this is not the way to handle one. If you do, usually you grab it by the back of the head, not by the tail to let, let it whip around and maybe bite you. So that seems a little weird, but we'll see in a minute maybe some implications of that. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and he turned and it turned back into a staff in his hand. 
Verse 5, this, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it back out, the skin on his hand was leprous. So he had leprosy on his hand. I I would be freaking out. Um, and it became as white as snow because leprosy is white. Verse 7, now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Verse 8, then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. God says, it's going to be like this. They won't believe you at first, but I will show them signs and eventually they'll pay attention. Just like how you didn't believe my power at first. I just love the kindness of God here. Moses is super worried. So God gives him some experiences to then speak about his testimony. This is like a testimony of God's power. He's like, okay, let me just give you some testimony right now to use. But then verse 10, we're going into argument number four. All those things happen. Verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I love this vulnerability we see of Moses. God calls him to go speak to Pharaoh, but Moses says he's not good at talking to people. He might have had a speech impediment or a stutter to his speech or even a lisp. We don't really know officially what it was. But I think this happens to a lot of us in moments of calling. We can all find a reason why we are disqualified from being obedient. You want me to speak? No, I can't. I can't. I have a speech impediment. Even with what he characterized as a handicap, though, he eventually does share the message and he gets creative and he got help from Aaron, as we'll see later, as well as God used signs through Moses, not just his words. But even in the words, God says in the next verse that he will empower Moses to do it. Verse 11, man, the Lord is so patient here. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. God is like, uh, you think I don't know you have this issue? I made your mouth. <laughs> Argument number five, here it comes. Verse 13, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please just send someone else. <laughs> I feel like that sometimes. Verse 14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. 
Moses is arguing, it, it just can't happen, Lord. It can't be me. Please send someone else. But the Lord didn't give up on Moses. God says, all right, here comes Aaron. Since you don't have the faith to believe that I can use you in spite of you, then Aaron, I'm going to use Aaron to be your spokesperson, your mouthpiece. I'll tell you, Moses, what to say, and then you can tell Aaron and he'll communicate for you. So he does end up using somebody else, but Moses is not off the hook here. (laughs) Verse 18, then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt and see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. This was likely one of Moses's fears of going where God wanted him to go. There were people out to get him, and it was a very real fear. God comes and says, hey, listen, you've outlived them. The past fear is gone. Verse 20. So Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. He took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. Like the rod turned into a snake, his leprous hand um, being healed, and the Nile River to blood. But I will harden his heart, God continues, so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel, my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. Verse 24, at a lodging place along the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, this is uh, Moses' wife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. This, like when I was reading it, it felt like a hard left turn. Like we're on the way to Egypt. Let's go save the Israelites from Egypt. And whoa, I'm about to kill Moses, God says. I'm like, wait, wait, what? Um, like God is with Moses and prepping him for a big job and then he's going to kill him. It seems that what we know when I dug into this is that Moses's son had been neglected. Moses never circumcised his son, which was the law. We don't know why, but either way, like here in this time, it was very, it was inexcusable. Moses, before you can pronounce judgment on the house of Pharaoh, what about your own house? What about your own children? Basically, God was going to kill Moses because Moses was supposed to teach the Israelites God's, the Israelites God's law, yet Moses wasn't obeying it himself. See that? First Peter chapter four says that judgment begins in our own house for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what the outcome will be for those who do not obey the gospel of God. And Zipporah knew she knew, but she does what Moses was supposed to do. And she's really upset. She's so upset that she leaves him. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I do highly encourage you to dive deeper if you're still sitting here like, what just happened? But Zipporah does that for him and God spares him because of what she does. But the consequence of that sin of not taking care of his family in the way he was supposed to is that his wife left him. And 
God still ends up using Moses. That's called grace. But what I want to note here is that Moses is not used on his own. Moses' wife contended for him, even though it had a detrimental impact on the family. And now what we'll see is Moses can't do any of what we will see without the help of his brother Aaron. Don't get caught up thinking you can do things all on your own, basically. Verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent to him to say, and also about all the signs he commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, he had and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Wow, there's so much in this chapter. So that's the end of the chapter. So here's the question. What can we learn from this chapter? The first thing when I looked through this chapter and studied it is that God will use you in your abilities. He says to Moses earlier on in the chapter, what's in your hand? God, like God asks him, what do you have in your hand, Moses? And he's like, uh, like a rod, a staff, because I'm a shepherd. He was raised as royalty, as you remember. So He's not even in the profession he planned on. This is definitely not his dream job, but God will use what you have. He will use whatever profession you've landed in, whether it was your dream job or not. And we see this with a lot of different people in the Bible. Paul, what's in your hand? Paul was a scholar and a thinker and a writer. A pen was in his hand. And that's how God used Paul, using him to write most of the New Testament. Peter, what's in your hand? He was a fisherman. A net was in his hand. Follow me, Jesus told Peter, and I will make you a fisher of men. John, what's in your hand? He was over there mending the nets. And that's God how that's how God used John, becoming the apostle of love, mending people and hearts and relationships. Wow, so cool. Samson, what's in your hand? Well, I have the jawbone of a donkey. Great, we're going to use that to kill some Philistines. David, what's in your hand? Well, a few pebbles and a sling? Great. That's what we will use to defeat Goliath. So the question is for you, what's in your hand? What's your thing? How has God already made you? What gifts has God already inherently given you? You don't need to become something else or find a different tool. Look at what God has already given you and what is in your hand. Sometimes uh, we are already doing the thing that God is going to empower us for ministry. We overcomplicate things. Sometimes we're wondering, what's my ministry? What is it supposed to be? But you're likely already doing it now, and you just need to shift your focus for doing it for the glory of God. So what's in your hand? What do you have and where are you? Do you have a hammer? Do you have a phone? Do you have a pen? Maybe a keyboard? You got some money in your hand or your pocket? You can send that to my address. It's 169. Okay, just kidding. But uh, maybe you have a planner. You're really organized. Maybe you just have a house. Like you have a house. God can use that. A kitchen? You're good in the kitchen? Great. So God uses Moses' own trade and vocation, interests, abilities. He says, I'm a shepherd. I've got a rod. No need to overcomplicate it. God uses what you have. But then catch this. God says, throw it down. What? 
throw the thing down and see what it is. If you are living for it, dependent on it, and your hope is in that thing, your rod, if you will, it's a snake, really. You'll be bitten by it. But it's a gift. It's not God. Our hands need to be open to God. Uh, Jesus truly being our passion and our purpose, not just service for God, our talents or abilities, not even spiritual gifts, but it's all Jesus first and those sec- other things secondarily. You're catching me because like it's really easy that we can fall in love with our ministry or helping people and how it makes us feel and forget to actually be in love with Jesus. You know you've probably gotten to this place when you're what you're doing is incredibly frustrating and unfulfilling. God would say to you and to me, throw it down. That thing is not to be controlling you or dominating your life or motivating what you do, no matter how good it is, whether it's about serving the Lord or your job or your vocation, any of those things, throw it down. And sometimes what I found in my life is when I'm unwilling to obediently throw something down, God will just go ahead and pry it out of my hands. But when it's finally down and out of my hands, I think I realize, and you would realize too, now that we don't have that thing in our hand anymore, it was always God we were craving. It was always Christ. Not doing something for Jesus, just simply Jesus. Just intimacy with Christ. And so now that you see it, pick it back up again and It will be the tail, not the head, because it's not leading your life and a priority, but it's just a tool. It's not duty, but it's devotion. The second thing is God uses, so first it was God uses your abilities, but God also uses your inabilities. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. Like, you didn't give me some special abilities since you started talking to me through this burning bush, Lord. I'm just still slow of speech and of tongue. And like I mentioned before, uh, Moses says he's slow of speech. In Hebrew, the word carries the meaning of heavy, oppressing, weighty, difficult, dull, thick. This could imply that his speech was really difficult for him, or maybe he had a different speech pathology. Twice in Exodus 6, Moses tells the Lord, I speak with faltering lips, um, verses 12 and 30, which we'll see in a couple chapters. Um, This could be a reference to stuttering, um, but it could have also been some sort of articulation disorder or speech apraxia. But regardless, it could have even been that he lacked confidence in formal speaking and public speaking. Now, some scholars, as I did some research into this, argue that Moses was just minimizing his speech abilities. In the New Testament, Stephen states that Moses was powerful in speech and action. Uh, A description that would seem to lend weight to the idea that maybe Moses downplayed his own ability. There is one theory that Moses was only just trying to get out of his assigned mission. But either way, Moses felt that his speech inabilities should disqualify him from being used in the way that God wanted to use him. And the the Lord's response is one of the strongest biblical supports for his absolute sovereignty. It says, the Lord said to him, who made man's mouth? 
Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God did not see Moses' stuttering, if that was even the problem, as a hindrance to his plan at all. It was Moses' arguing and refusing to trust God to uh, and allow God's power to work through him that angered the Lord. Not his stuttering or his speech impediment or his lack of confidence. It was just his arguing and his disbelief. It comes back to what we talked about last time, that it's not about who we are or what we can do, but who we are with God and what he can do. Despite Moses' stuttering, if that's even what it was, God used Moses in great ways, showing that he is sovereign over everything, including speech difficulties. I mean, it's such a good way to remind us that even with impeded speech or whatever our thing is, we can do great things in the story of God. God's glory would not have been as evidence if Moses had been a powerful speaker who naturally captivated crowds with eloquent words. Instead, God does what he always does. Um, 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God loves to use the people who stutter, even spiritually, the people who maybe don't have the greatest skills or the most talent. He loves to use people like you and me and Moses because he will get the glory truly. He can use any of our difficulties, disabilities, or setbacks for his glory and his purpose. God specializes in using our weaknesses to showcase his power. And God's answer to our Moses-like cries in our own inabilities is this, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I think of this picture. You probably have seen this go around social media so many times, and it says God doesn't qualify or God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And then they list a number of different people. It says Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a, a temper. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossiper. Martha was a worrier. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Moses stuttered. Zacchaeus was too short. Abraham was too old. And Lazarus was dead. What we see in the story of God is that God uses everyone despite flaws, despite handicaps, despite mistakes. God can use you. So what I'll leave you with is this question to think about, to wrestle with, talk to some people about what's in your hand. What abilities do you have to bring glory to God? And what things are you feeling like might hinder you? What do you want to see God use in mighty ways that seem like a real weakness? Well, thanks everybody for joining us. Wow, what an exciting chapter in Exodus chapter four. I cannot wait to see what happens next. Um, as always, you can always find me on Instagram at Kenzie's underscore Bible, and you can connect with me that way. Um, otherwise, just have the best day ever, and we'll see you next time.